Hey, Chloe. Hey, Ralph. How are you going? Yeah, pretty awesome. How about you? Yes, awesome. Super awesome. Huh. Feeling, yeah, feeling really, really good. Being getting into uh, focusing on some prioritizing sleep and prioritizing movement and nutrition, all these things, you know, that we think <laughs> we're, we're movement teachers, we're in the health industry, you know, and I think it's sort of a, can be a bit of a misconception. I know you are really good at doing all of this, but I'm not so good with the whole, the whole looking after my side of myself when I'm, you know, when I'm busy and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I had some real sort of light bulb moments lately and just went, you know what? No, I need to make this a priority. And uh, yeah, highly, highly recommend to all that are listening. Mm. <laughs> sleep, wow, what a what a game changer! Yeah, sleep's pretty awesome. <laughs> all of a sudden, I feel like a normal human being again. So I might be a bit more coherent today. <laughs> and you've been well, Ralph? Uh, yeah, we're I'm I'm pretty awesome. Um, we're sort of going in the throes of moving house at the moment. So, and I'm a person, I you know you know as you know Chloe, I'd love my routine. Do. You know, and um, so, you know, I'm a little bit discombobulated because my gym's been packed up and oh. my toothbrush isn't in the normal place. So, you know. But they're, they're, I was wondering really, how you're feeling about that, <laughs> about the about the gym. They're really first world problems though. They are. And you're going to, you're going to be able to put, put the gym at a campus. Yeah. We're moving the gym to Northcote campus temporarily. And um, so I still had a great workout this morning, just in a much more limited space. So, you know. Right. I think, and uh, I'm sitting in an air-conditioned room today. It's hot outside. Just, I think life's pretty oh, awesome. That's pretty, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I know Shaman's looking forward to lifting some weights with you oh, at campus. Be so much fun. Uh-huh. For those that don't know Shaman, massive shout-out shout to Shaman Moran, our, one of our incredible teacher trainers, and he's also on our marketing team. Give him a, give him a follow on. And he does all our socials, actually. Mm. So if you're if you're interacting with our um, Breathe Education Instagram or Facebook, that's Shaman. We love Shaman. Yeah, heart emoji, heart emoji, smiling emoji. Like beyond, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, Shaman. <laughs> so uh, what what do you want to talk about today, Chloe? Uh, well, as always, Raf, it's isn't it funny? Like you and I have back and forwards. <laughs> a bit leading up to today because I'm like, no, I want to do this one. I want to do that one. No, I want to do this one. Should we do that one? Um, so as always, we're hyper excited and <laughs> um, pumped. So I think today we're going to talk about queuing. All right. And the elephant in the room, because I know you're about to say so, and I'm trying to conceptualize this as, so what's the elephant in the room? So I I see the elephant in the room as being teachers who think um, that more is better when it comes to queuing. So so more is better, and on the flip side, that that instructors and I and I've heard this from you know grads that I have uh, mentored is is this sense of when they 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 learn how to cue to motor learning, and we're going to be exploring that today, and they learn the latest evidence in that. Then they go out into the Pilates stratosphere and and they go to the class with the instructor that's doing all the micro-cueing, and then they think, oh, I'm not doing it right. 
I sound maybe I sound like I don't know enough because I'm not saying all the muscles and activate this and activate that. And then that that breeds imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is a really uncomfortable place to be and it's 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 a choking place to be. So I would hope with this conversation that we are educating educating those who may not be so up to date with how to cue to promote um, motor learning and that we're also reassuring those that are out there and they are already queuing to promote motor learning that you are like, you are on the money. You're doing it right already. And you know what, You're doing it right. I agree with almost everything you said, but I disagree with what you said about the stratosphere because I reckon um, we're going to help people climb to the stratosphere. But I reckon when when you're at a studio and someone's telling you off for not cueing transversus abdominis or not cueing someone's pelvic floor or something before they do footwork, I reckon that's mm-hmm. the Pilates trailer park. Oh, not the stratosphere. Oh, okay. I like that analogy, Ralph. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So we've got a couple okay. of elements. Number one is more is better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need like a honky sound, you know, wah, 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 Well, wah. you tell me I'm not allowed to press those things. I've got them on my Rodecaster <laughs> and you've, you've like tied my hand behind my back and said, don't you touch those, Chloe. They'll age badly. <laughs> um, and, then, and then we've got number two. Uh, what was number two again? Number two is is the, those that, that have imposter syndrome uh, because. Uh, because people think queuing is about anatomy. Is that people what you mean? Do, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. People do seem to think queuing's about anatomy, yes. It's got nothing uh-huh. to do with freaking anatomy. About anatomy and about micromanagement of uh, another num- human's number body. Three, number three, micromanagement. Or well, let's say number, got- number two, micromanagement, number three, anatomy. <laughs> That just made me think of a fantastic thing that Nick Hanna said. Uh, when Jennifer, so Nick Hanna is a, an awesome uh, physio, evidence-based physio from on Ontario, he's no Cana- London, he's London. Ca- he's Canadian, eh? Yeah, he's Canadian somewhere, somewhere London, Shout Ontario. Out to Nick. Did I say it right? Hey, Nick. Um, Maple leaf emoji. <laughs> yeah, and we've already said how much we love Canada, but. Um, Nick Hanna did an interview with a podcast episode with another one of our dear friends, as you know, Janice Fino, and I loved it. And she was sort of talking about queuing or something, and he just had this moment where his head kind of exploded and goes, I can't believe how much queuing you guys do before you even let someone move. What's that about? Mm-hmm. Like, and he he's just, his mind was just blown. Like, and this is a guy that is at the top of his game in the in the rehab world, yeah, pain and injury rehab world, right? And he's like, what are you doing? So it's not normal. So it's not normal. It's not normal and it seems very specific to Pilates. It also says, you know, I guess it's out there too in some of the rehab world for sure and it's probably originally come from that, let's be honest. Um, well, how do we open the floor then to this? Where, where to start? Uh Right. Well, uh, <laughs> it's well, such a, such an interesting topic. I'm not quite sure where to start. Yeah. Well, I think uh, let, let's just briefly exp, uh, explore. You know those. Um, you know those three things, and then get into like, okay. what I really want to do today is is uh, you know as well as sort of examine these myths, um, mm-hmm. the elephants, but also really hopefully give people some real concrete tools to take away to actually make their queuing a lot better. Uh, yes, awesome. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, queuing is one of those areas in science that is just 
by pure you know, dumb luck, I think, um, we just understand it really well. Like as when I say we, I mean like science understands, um, you know, how to cue effectively, how to, how to teach people movement skills very well. It turns out that, you know, there are just a few simple things you can do that like majorly improve uh, people's learning. Um, and, and those things are, are, are really simple. Like it's, that's why I love. That's why I love this topic because mm. we aren't. We actually know how to do it, mm. and it turns out that how to do it is actually really freaking mm. simple. Um, mm. Whereas, you know, as opposed to something like back pain, whereas like two million, mm. two million research papers later, we still don't mm. really know what the hell we're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, with queuing, it's there's like ex- yeah, it's yeah. One, two, one, two, three, go. Yeah, and there's and and that's what really um, was highlighted for me when you interviewed professors Luthwaite and Wolf who two two of the preeminent uh, researchers on motion learning in the world and their website by the way guys is called optimalmotorlearning.com optimalmotorlearning.com we can we can link to that in the show notes as well and and for me oh I have so many takeaways from it but that that there is a there's a a lot of really good quality evidence and it does pretty significantly say that one way of queuing is, is better, actually yeah. exponentially better. So we're not cherry picking and I want to make this yeah. really clear for those that are out there going, no, no, but I've got it. It's like, no, it's not cherry, like it's exponentially better and we're going to sort of dive into why and maybe why we're so wrapped up in thinking that more is better as well. Like what is that tied into? Um, so, Raph, I guess that that leads into though we, that we can kind of – let's kind of talk about, well, the, the the three most simple things you can do. So what's motor learning first? Maybe we better maybe we better start with that. I think, you know, it sounds really obvious but – Well, I think, I mean, I guess uh... – well, you know, the, the the textbook definition of motor just means movement, right? So it's to do with your muscles and your nerves. Um, that's your motor system. Uh, and, you know, learning means, well, what learning is, um, is relatively permanent changes in skill over time as, an, as a result of practice. So that's the textbook definition of learning. So uh, if you... And I think it's worth just understanding that a little bit in a little bit of detail. So if, if I yeah. practice... If I, if I practice for an hour, you know, doing something I've never done before... I, I get a lot better at it, but then I come back a week later. Ninety nine percent of that is has faded, right? So, so that wasn't an improvement in learning because it wasn't a relatively permanent change in skill. Mm-hmm. It was an inc- increase in performance because it was a temporary change in skill. So, I after an hour of practice, I performed better than I did, mm-hmm. but a week later, I hadn't retained any of it, so I didn't mm-hmm. actually learn anything. So, learning refers to per- relatively permanent changes in skill over time, uh, and performance can fluctuate. You know, um, you have good days, bad days, depending on your mood, how much sleep you've had, psychological state, you know, all of that stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, skill is relatively permanent. Mm. Yeah, so when we say, when, you know, when we say like we we aim to, you know, as teachers, we aim to improve learning, what we mean is we aim to increase the speed and amount of you know, change in skill, you know, so, so people mm-hmm. retain more for longer. Right. Yeah. So big part of what we do really, isn't it? I reckon, <laughs> you know, we do other stuff as well. It was a big, big part of what we do. So it, it really um, would be, you know, something that we 
we all as as movement teachers should be constantly you know improving our delivery of that as well because that's that's part of our skill set as a teacher um i think like a big part of the problem is that probably i I think most instructors without really thinking about it sort of conceive as as of cueing as something you do in the moment to improve someone's performance in the moment. It's like, in okay, the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and the things that you do to improve performance in the moment are not necessarily the same things you do to improve skill over time. Mm. Um, so, and and, mm. and a lot of, a lot of times they actually, they're the opposite things, you know? Mm. So, mm. so a lot of the things that we're doing in the moment, I think um, to, you know, get people's bodies in you know, the quote right position or, or whatever, actually end up either making them dependent on us or, uh-huh. you know, or, or sort of reduce their sort of movement options so that we actually reduce the, the, the amount of skill that they're developing, retard mm-hmm. their development. So, yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, so we can do the opposite to what we're ultimately trying to do. And, um, and I think back to we'll, – we'll loop into Joseph's way of teaching as well, I think, later because G was ahead of his time <laughs> with, with that because the other argument I hear is, well, if we're not queuing all the bits all the time, it's not Pilates. So that's oh, – I think it's important. Such, such, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want I just wanted to throw that in because that's – as you were saying that and when you're saying that the ultimate goal is to teach someone a skill set that they – have with them they can do on their own hello autonomy empowerment we're doing the opposite if we're keeping them tied to us to do well, the thing and I remember that, how to I do think the that's thing that's become like a pervasive culture in pilates right so if you go to if you go to you know i watch my daughter learn gymnastics once a week and um you know the when she was there and she was seven years old you watch the coaches basically pick them up flip them over you know basically the coaches just like <laughs> carry them through the moves, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the coaches, you know, they guide them, you know, by hand yeah. through the moves. They put them, you know, back over cushions or whatever so that their bodies yeah. get in the right shape. But then as they get older and older each year, you they know, start the, to take that away. the coaches do less and less of that. And now yeah. she's like 14 and the coaches basically just say, hey, there's the thing, go jump on it, you know, and uh-huh. and they go jump on it. And then, you know, after they do a few goes, the coach comes by and goes, oh, why don't you do this a bit more or that a bit more, and uh-huh. then coach walks off again and leaves them to you know figure it out. Uh, and you and you watch the groups of girls, you know, like the seven year olds, the eight year olds, the nine year olds, the ten year olds. Each group is more skillful than the you know the younger group. Like you can see them growing, you know, year on year more skillful. And as they yep. get more skillful, they get less and less assistance from the coach. Um, mm. Whereas in Pilates, we we're not like that. Like you watch someone mm. on their you know ten thousandth Pilates private lesson doing mm. freaking footwork, and they're being mm. fucking micromanaged up the yin mm. yang. Someone's telling you, put your fucking left left butt cheek mm. here, you curl your toe three millimeters more over the bar, inhale mm. deeply but not too deeply, keep your core, engage your pelvic oh, floor by thirty percent, whatever that is. Yeah, like, and and oh. it, yeah, and and um and I think we touched on. I think we've. We've, we've sort of touched on this subject in the episode on hands-on assists mm. and and how, you know, these hands-on assists tend to carry into people who are, you know, really advanced. And it's like you'd be better off just staying away from them. Just yeah. before I just before I forget, because I, I love how you were just talking about, you know, Bintu and, and her gymnastics, there's this fantastic account, and I think it really shows motor learning and our listeners would love it, called My Gym Dad 
on Instagram. And it's, oh, my God, I could watch it for hours. Talk about watching motor learning just take place with the dad. So the daughter, the daughter's already, the young daughter's already prolific in, you know, every, she can like spin around on her nose basically upside down. And her dad is is there and you're watching and she'll, she's really great with her cues. She'll give him two, a couple of simple cues or like she, he'll let him try and then he like literally really falls and then she'll pop her hand where it needs to go. Like, and like sort of tap and say, do this. And I tell you what, you watch him do it a couple of times with minimal to no cueing and there he is doing the thing. So from a, I think for, it's really interesting from a motor learning perspective to watch those, those videos. That's yeah. my gym. I'm yeah. a huge fan of that account. I'm a huge fan of him doing that with his daughter. Yeah. What a legend. <laughs> Are you doing that with Bintu? No way. <laughs> It looks like a few of his falls really hurt, but um, he always gets up and smiles. And it's so funny because his son's often on the sideline laughing. It's like they're fun to watch. I, I do cardio with Bintu sometimes, but um, yeah, that's as far as I'll go. That's as far as you'll go. Okay. So looping back in then. Okay. So we know now what motor learning is. Okay. And, and we know that there's potentially some, at some way along the line, because it, look, this didn't come from Joseph. Joseph, you know, you guys read Cage Lion. I'm going to go on about Cage Lion until the day I die. You want to know about how Joseph cued, read Cage Lion. You tried the thing. He gave you minimal cues. Open the springs, close the springs. Sit up. Lay back down. And you tried it and tried it and you practiced until you got it. And then you went in autonomously to the gym because it was Joe's gym. It wasn't Joe's studio. It was called a gym. And you went in, you put your five bucks in the jar and you did your workout on your own. Mm. So if he was micromanaging every movement you did on the reformer or any of the apparatus, how could he leave you to be autonomous? I think and, I, I'd like to, um, you know, because, you know, I like science. and um, Yeah. I, I know you do too. Um, uh, just a little bit. Mainly thanks to you, Ralph. You really sparked my love of science. Thanks, Chloe. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, I think it's worth really thinking about because I think, you know, like it's nice to quote research and all of that stuff and that, you know, that that's that's great. But I think also just thinking about things kind of logically is, is really mm. valuable as well. And so like, you know, just if you're listening to this and think about like watching somebody move who's a, an incredible mover, right? So whatever movement they're doing, if it's like a walking or dancing or doing martial arts or running or swimming or playing tennis, you know, like just some kind of movement, you know, um, playing a musical instrument, um, that's highly, you know, if someone's brilliant at the violin or the piano or the mm. guitar, you know, that's a highly skilled, you know, physical, um, you know, motor, motor capacity. So mm. well, what, are, you know, so you, if you, and even I bet, right, even if you knew nothing about say high jump, right? Just say you've never high jumped in your life. If you looked at two people high jump, right? And one of them was a Olympic level master. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one of them was a rank beginner. I one of them was me. <laughs> certain you could tell the difference, right? Yeah. Um, and not just by how high they jumped, even if you didn't know how high each one jumped, you'd be able to see like very, very obvious differences in the the qualities of their movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you would see, and, and you would see the same if you look at elite runners, you know, you look at some of those people who win the the, mar- the Olympic marathon and stuff, watch them run and then watch, you know, just go down to the local gym and watch people run on the treadmill, right? You'll They don't look the same. 
Yeah. Um, and, and the same goes if you go to the, you know, the nine-year-old ballet class and then you go to the Australian ballet, right, they don't look the same. Like the way they move is different. And the thing is that all of these highly skilled movers, you know, regardless of, of what movement they're doing, they all have certain things in common that is in fact what what defines you know being highly skilled you know so what is it to be highly skilled well you kind of know it when you see it but you can actually measure it we can actually measure it and so there are several components of highly skilled movement and uh, one of them is automaticity right so when you when like think about what a skill that you're really good at a physical skill you're really good at you know probably for most of you listening driving is something you're really good at right mm. When you first learn a new skill, you know, or if you've learned how to type or play a musical instrument or, you know, juggle or something, you know, something that involves some kind of coordination, um, you know, when you first learn, it's extremely kind of painstaking. You have to like consciously think about every single thing. Like when you're driving, you're thinking about, okay, my hand's on the gear shift, my foot's on the clutch, press the, ex- the accelerator, turn the wheel. And you're like, you're thinking about every and single- And you can feel everything. You can feel the steering wheel and you can feel like you can- Feel like everything's so amplified, isn't it? Totally, like, and so, you're, so super focused on it, right? And so you're you're focusing in on the tiny little components of the movement, mm. you know, the gear shift, the foot, the other foot, mm. the you know, mm. and yet when you become highly skilled, like you probably are now as a driver, you can drive you know twenty, thirty, fifty kilometers, do multiple turns, gear changes, whatever, mm. not not even notice it. You can be talking to someone in the passenger seat mm. or whatever. Mm. completely unconsciously driving, right? Mm. And that is one of the hallmarks of highly skilled movement. Like if you look mm. at someone who's highly skilled at playing the guitar, they can play the guitar whilst having a conversation with mm. you, right? Mm. When you're first learning how to strum a C chord, you're sticking your tongue out to the side and you're putting one finger on this string and one finger on this string and one finger on this mm. string and you're screwing up your face and then someone says, mm. what's for dinner? And you're like, can't concentrate. <laughs> mm, mm. So, like, and and you can see it, and you can see it in your Pilates practices as well. Like, you can see the the difference between someone who's you know come in and got on the reformer for the first time, and someone who's got their eyes closed in their flow state as they're you know moving through their teaser on the long box, and it's this fluid thing, and they're holding at the top and dancing with their arms and their legs, and they're just. You know, it, it becomes like a dance. Right. And so all of those things, like when they become highly automatic, right, well, that means less conscious thought. Like that is, in fact, the definition of automatic, right? So when, as some, as, you know, as movement becomes more skillful, the automaticity increases or, or put another way, the conscious thought and the concentration required to do that movement decreases, right? Until you until you get so skillful that you can do it without even thinking about it at all, you know? Um, and so, well, if we're trying to promote skilled movement, you know, we're trying to improve skill, well, that means then that we're trying to reduce the amount of conscious control uh-huh, that the person, uh-huh. person's exerting. We're trying to make it more automatic, Right. Uh-huh. So if we're telling people squeeze this muscle, press your big toe into the floor, contract your glutes, uh-huh. pull it, blah, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. It's like that's making it more conscious. Uh-huh. It's actually regressing uh-huh. people to that level of the first driving lesson in the Kmart parking lot, you know, uh-huh. where you go, ook, 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 and the uh-huh. car's, you know, <laughs> you're shunting. Oh, I remember. Hey, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, it, that, that loops me um, into re- remembering a great 
passage from uh, the Inner Game of Tennis, which is which is a great a great book as well. One of the earlier earlier books that explored motor learning. Yeah, and uh, where, where, you know, if you want to, if you if you let's say you pull this, they they use the analogy of tennis, but I could bring it back to a Pilates analogy, I'm sure. But if you if you're playing a game of tennis and your opponent is just like in this flow state and they're just winning, 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 winning. The best thing you can do to win is ask them what they're doing. Like, what you, like get them to stop, think about, explain what they're doing. And you know what, Raf? I've seen that. I've seen that happen when I'm teaching Pilates. Let's say, for instance, someone's in their in their flow state. I'm just going to use the teaser just because I've already used that. And let's say they're doing their teaser on the long box, which you know is a tricky. It's a tricky exercise. It's a, a skilled exercise. You work up to it. You build up to it. You know, it's it's not. It's like it takes practice. Um, some people just pop straight up, <laughs> but for most people, it takes practice. Okay, and then you see there's this moment where where someone goes from kind of like that that you know conscious what they need to do to get up there, and then they just they're flowing in it. And I've made the mistake before in in a movement such as that, asking that person to share with the rest of the group. Yeah their tips or what they're doing and you see them, you see the choke happen and then they go to do it and guess what? In that moment, they can't do it. Yeah, and that, Whereas they'd just been in a flow state with it that gets, and it seemed like yeah, the simplest thing in the world. Totally. And it, it is the simplest thing in the world when you when you don't think about it. And that's, that's exactly. the thing is that, you know, unskilled movement seems harder because it is in fact harder. You're doing it the hard way. Um, yes. And more skilled movement is easier um, both mentally and physically. So you're, when you're doing skilled movement, you're not devoting conscious attention to, you know, the individual components of the movement um, to anywhere near the same degree as you are when you're you're unskilled. Uh, and the other thing is, like another hallmark of skilled behaviour, skilled movement is uh, that it's more, you know, and, and all of you listening to this know this, you know, from your own experience, it looks more fluid, more graceful, mm. more effortless, you know. Whether it's somebody swimming, butterfly, dancing, running a marathon, playing golf, you know, whatever, like if mm. you look at a beginner and a master doing it side by side, you'll see, you'll be able to tell which is which just from the amount of effort that you perceive in each of their, you know, movements. And, you know, highly skilled people appear more flowing, fluid and graceful because they are using literally physically using less energy. They so they make um, better use of um, inertia. You know, they swing into it. They make better use of momentum. But you're not allowed. You're not allowed to use momentum in Pilates, Ralph. <laughs> hey um, guys, air quotes, air quotes, and you better sure as hell have your powerhouse switched on, uh, my friend. They have. They have <laughs> less co-contraction. Right. So when you're when you're a beginner, right? Just say you're learning. I don't know to to do a golf swing, right? For the first time. Well, you know, that is going to, you're going to move in kind of a herky jerky sort of way. And the reason for that herky jerkiness is because you're over contracting, you know, almost every muscle. So you're co-contracting. So you're, you're, you're contracting your biceps and your triceps at the same time. You know, you're contracting the flexors and the extensors at the same time. So basically you're driving with the hand back on. And, and that is a feature of unskilled movement. And as you become more skilled, you use less and less muscular contraction um, because you make better use of momentum and you also use like elastic recoil, to, uh, you know, passive recoil of, mm. of tissues, mm. you know, like mm. if you're running, you use your, you know, Achilles tendon as a, a, a spring and you use like wind-ups in jumps and swings and things like that. Um, uh, 
and and just passive forces in general. So just like tissue stiffness and and whatever. So like becoming more skilled, like people look more, uh, you know, fluid and easy because it is in fact like they they're expending less energy to get the same amount of work done. Right. So it, it mm. is in fact easier. I've um I've been noticing that it's been interesting because I'm I'm learning a new skill. I haven't learned a new motor skill for you know a while. I've been you know it usually all goes into my into my Pilates, and that's obviously you know I'm in a, I'm in a flow state with my Pilates. But kettlebells, you you know I've got a new a new uh, love for kettlebells, mm. and it's been really interesting because um, Adam Eakins in the Better Clinician uh, um better clinician uh, project that that I'm in has been focusing in on techniques, uh, different techniques, swings and whatnot with kettlebells. And it was really interesting for me to see the difference in with with the with just the plain swing and that actually the um, more competitive, and I hope I'm getting this right, I have to go back and look, but the more competitive swing, you actually soften so like you're actually like you're just kind of a little bit more floppy and using the it's not all as as they're saying. It's like the difference between the co contraction with the with the other swing, yeah. and I was really surprised to see that. And it's like, well, that because the other one's more efficient. And I was like, whoa! I never would have thought of that. Yeah. And that was really cool to think about. And you're really using. You need to take advantage of the momentum of the bell. Yeah. Right. So you actually do less work and let the bell do the work. It's just amazing. Right. And I bet you're in there. There's a whole bunch of taking advantage of like stretch reflex and tendon elasticity yeah. and, you know, all of that stuff as well. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I, yeah. So I, I've been really enjoying learning about that mm. um, and how to and how to make it more efficient from, mm. a, from a motor learning perspective. So, okay, I think, you know, um, step one, we're going to talk about why more is not better. Uh, and and why you don't need to have imposter syndrome when you hear someone saying a billion and one words because you know, and I think we've anatomy, already touched on that a bit because you sink, are yeah. you are choking them and you are actually uh, unfortunately hampering their motor learning and making them more reliant on you um, as opposed to what you should be doing. And like also, I want us to keep in mind that this you know this is not. Real Pilates, and I hate that hashtag Real Pilates, but it seems that a lot of people seem to be very confused as to, you know, what we think, you know, Joe's intent might have been and when did all this overcuing coming in. Okay. I'm thinking from the, the classical era, the elders onwards, the dancers, yeah. and then into the contemporary where we saw the rise of Stott, et cetera, that was done in conjunction with the physios of the time. So the physios of what, like 90s? 90s, would you say, Raph? Hey, 90s, yeah. should, we, should we link into um, Pilates Through the Ages, our little blog post there? Yeah, let's get it out there. <laughs> sure. So that goes through yeah, all that history that of, of how the yeah. over basically, you know, ran rampant. Yeah, yeah. And and the over-queuing, so, so we start seeing it with, with the dancing culture because it mm. does, you know, and we've talked about this also maybe in oh, our posture, our posture, a posture podcast, I think, when we talked about, you know, the aesthetics. We've talked about it a few times now that there, there are some dance aesthetics that have come into the, the the lingo and then seem to stick around within the Pilates, you know, realm. Nothing wrong with um, dance. Nothing wrong with dance. Nothing wrong with dance at all, at all. I'm just I'm just talking about 
specific cueing, yeah, mm. and um, that seems to have come from there. And then because obviously they are going, you know, there's particular aesthetics that they want, et cetera, the shapes they want you to make on the dance floor and on and on, I don't, yep. Um, and then the physio era. I think that the physio slash Pilates era where it kind of just kind of started to melt together. Yeah. Like, because I, I mean, my understanding, my, and I could be wrong, but my understanding of where Stott originated was Moira uh, wrote wrote the syllabus in conjunction with a physio. Yeah, I'm hazy on that. I couldn't comment. Yeah, so so I'm pretty sure the history is Moira was working for um, Romana. My understanding is she was Moira was working at the desk, and then Moira went on to develop Stott. Okay, so what we're seeing then is the rise of that that internal cueing, which you know is still quite prevalent. Well, has been quite prevalent to date in in the rehab stratosphere. I do believe it's changing, particularly with the the yeah yeah. So it is absolutely right. I can't go stop saying stratosphere. Right. So it is absolutely changing. So what can we do then to best facilitate motor learning? Well, There's I, I just three go, simple things. I want to go back before we get in, you know, before okay. we do the big reveal. Oh, I'm, oh okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like chomping at the bit. <laughs> I want to um, just go back and, and uh, on to something that you said before about choking because okay. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I think everybody kind of has a sense of what choking is. It's basically when you freeze under pressure, you know, like normally you're really good at doing something, but then yeah. you're basically in the spotlight and you're under pressure and there's a lot riding on some situation and you choke, which means basically you freeze and you, you basically perform like dog shit. Um, and, you know, <laughs> even though, you know, you're actually highly It's happened skilled. to us all. It's yeah. happened to us all. But you just basically, you know, you just you – just, crap your pants basically and don't know what to do, you know. So, but actually it's been studied quite extensively because it's a big problem in sports and particularly in sports psychology. Um, it, there's a lot of research into choking. And so we know exactly actually what happens when people choke and how to prevent ah, it. Ah, yeah. cool. Okay. Um, so, well, there's, there are, there are, you know, um, basically when you are highly skilled at something, right, so just say you're, you know, in the the final at Wimbledon um, and you're about to win, you know, the third set 6-4, right, and it's match point. And you've just been playing like beyond yourself. You know, you've been like having almost an out-of-body experience. You're just so in the flow of playing. It's like every shot's going exactly where you want it to go. And you're not even, you're not thinking about it. You're just existing in the in the in the flow of the play, right? And then you're standing on that serving line and you're bouncing the ball and you're about to serve for the match, right? And it's like you've got one serve and if you can ace this serve, that you win Wimbledon, right? And you start thinking, holy shit, I'm about to win fucking Wimbledon, right? And then you think, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, <laughs> don't fuck it up, right? And so you, and you're like, now make sure you follow through because sometimes you don't follow through with your serve enough. Okay, make sure you follow through, make sure you follow through. And then then you start thinking, okay, you know, follow through, follow, can't breathe. And you start invoking all of these conscious strategies to control your movement, right? Uh-huh. Whereas for the preceding two sets and, you know, 10 games, right, you've been in total flow. You've been moving unconsciously, Right. Whereas now all of a sudden you're saying follow through, breathe, lift up, 
throw, toss the ball, focus on, you know, blah, 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 whatever you say to yourself. You give yourself all these conscious commands. And so basically what you do is you regress yourself to an earlier stage of learning, right? The beginner stage, because when you're a beginner, that's what you do. You focus on, you know, like if it's mm. your first tennis lesson, what do they say? Follow through, keep your eye on the ball, blah, blah, blah. They give you all these specific, you know, mm explicit rules about how to do it you know hold the racket this way put your hand mm. there for, yeah, yeah 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 uh, whereas whereas when you're you know you know in total flow you're not thinking about any of that stuff you're just thinking the ball needs to go there or i want to make my opponent run or mm-hmm. you know you're thinking more higher order things and so mm-hmm. choking is then merely when people come out of flow and they devolve into a much more sort of conscious self-talk where they're they're giving themselves explicit instructions about how to perform a movement which they should be able to perform with a high degree of automaticity right so they 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 regress basically from this sort of automatic flow state to this like you know rank beginner strategy of trying to consciously control each aspect of the movement so that is that is what choking is and so the way that we know now to prevent choking right is we don't give people rules on how to move right so if when you learnt tennis right you never learned you were never told follow through keep your eye on the ball put your foot here put your other foot there hold the racket like this you were never told any of that right someone just said there's the racket pick it up hit the ball right and then you just figured it out right you get to a place where you get to be really good, right? And I'm sure that you have things in your life that you are like that with, right? So for example, think about writing, right? Most of us listening to this, it's the digital age, but most of us can still do handwriting, okay? Well, sure, mine's shocking now. It, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you, even so, you're highly skilled at it. Think about, you know, a one-year-old, right? Because that's your mm, natural mm. level of skill at handwriting as a human, right? Mm. Is zero, right? Mm. So compared to a one-year-old, you are incredibly skilled at handwriting. Mm. And and so if you had to explain to me the process of handwriting and get me to do it, you know, by explaining it to me, it's like, mm. there's no freaking way you could do that, right? Mm. But you remember, can do though, you, you, I don't know if you remember helping me learn to write clearly on the whiteboard. <laughs> you had to grab my hand. I gave you some manual guidance. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? No, I don't. <laughs> you don't have no good. But I'm actually quite good at it now. So. But did I tell you which muscles to contract? I fucking hope No, I you didn't. didn't. No, you absolutely didn't. You just gave me. It was about which, you know, just helping which part of the pen to push in, and that was a game changer for me. Then oh, that was all I had to do was okay. practice. Push this part yes. of the pen. Oh, awesome. Yeah. did a good job. Okay. You did so. a great job, and now I love writing on a whiteboard. But when I think about it, and maybe this is maybe more relevant to us in this digital age, I have to – I'm not doing a lot of writing these days with a pen and paper and I do actually have regressed to mm. sometimes having to think about it, having huh. to slow it down, having to clean up well, how neat it think, is. How it, but think yeah. about – I mean, think about uh, – there are other things that you know how to do but you can't explain how you – like throwing a ball, no, well, right? No, but like texting, Write, but like texting, I can – I can do two thumbs and I, I can do it in two seconds. Right. I couldn't teach how to do it, but I can, like, it's like a flow, absolute and I'm flow. I'm like, I'm like, well, this is a, this is a great example because I absolutely suck at two thumb texting. I can do, not do it. I'm one finger texter, right? Oh and that, man, yeah. I'm like, I'm like a gun with so, the two thumbs. you know, if you could just give me a quick lesson now over the phone on how oh, to 
damn you, Raph. <laughs> Raph's about to choke me, everyone. Um, and it's like it's. I really like my two but, thumbs. But, but here's, so here's the thing: state. is that we all have these skills, right? Yeah. You know, whatever the skill is, where we yeah. know we can do it, but we can't yeah. say how to do it. Right? Yeah. How do you ride a bike? How do you walk? Right, yeah. that's a learned skill. You know, when you yeah. when you're zero years old, you can't walk. So, yeah, okay, yeah. explain to me how to walk. I can't walk. Explain it to me. You know, it's like no, mm-hmm. I can do it, but I can't say how I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, that is called implicit learning, right? So when you learn how to do it and you can do it, but you can't explain what you're doing, right? That's implicit. So you don't actually know the rules of how you're supposed to do it, but you can just do it, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. explicit learning is where you learn a list of rules of how, you know, put your foot here at this angle, straighten your knee this number of degrees, push forward with this amount of force. You know, those are explicit rules. And when we learn some skills, that's the way that we're typically taught. So if you learn to play tennis or golf, let's say put your hand here, point your finger this way, put your other hand here, look there, put your foot here, your other foot there. And that's what that's the way we do things on in Pilates as well. We always give people all these rules about how they're meant to, you know, where their body parts are meant to be and what they're meant to think about and what they're when they're meant to breathe and all of that. And that's giving them explicit instructions, which which means that when the under pressure, people tend to revert to, you know, mm-hmm. go to what you know. And so, but if mm-hmm. you don't have a, an explicit set of rules about how to do a movement, well, you can't revert back to an explicit set of rules. So you can't choke, right? So you can't choke, right, with texting or mm. riding a bike or, mm. or writing your name, you know. Imagine there's like a thousand people watching you write your name. It's like, well, you can still do it. You know, whereas if there's a thousand people watching you take like a jump shot in basketball, it's like, holy shit, that would definitely reduce your performance unless you're really used to being under that sort of pressure. Mm. You know? Same with, same with, with, as an adult, I tried to learn the banjo and, and we all know that there's certain things, you know, they say learning a musical instrument or a second language as a, as an adult seems to be particularly tough tough for the neuroplasticity of the brain, which is still neuroplastic, just not as, not it's still plastic, but not quite as much as, as when you're, you know, child to teenager. Um, and I tell you what, now I thinking about it and thinking about how I was taught, it was very, like, very explicit. Mm. And, and I could never remember. And I'd get home and try and put my fingers in exactly the place I was told to put them. And you had to hold the banjo at a certain angle. And there was so many things. And I was just like, Oh, I can't even remember how to strum the thing. Mm. (laughs) And it kind of, do you want to know what else it did though? It kind of killed my joy about learning it. And I, and I think that that's another thing too. Like I have been to Pilates classes where I've been really micromanaged and I've been made to feel like I can't do it on my own or I can't do it good enough. And I tell you what, A, it's made me feel like shit and B, I haven't wanted to go back to that class. Mm. So that's another, that's, you know, and, and guess what? My banjo has been sat in its case, my beautiful banjo with the eagle on the back has been sat in its case in the corner for years because there's, a, there's not a lot enjoyable for me about trying to learn it. Maybe, I'm sure I just need to find the right teacher. Maybe when you come down, <laughs> we can have a jam. Oh, that would be cute. We could we could jam for you guys on the podcast. Everyone's like, woo, you have just lost some listeners. No, Raph's good. I'm not, guys. <laughs> um, so, Raph, so, yeah, I think so we need to. Shall we do the big reveal? I, I think I think we need to, I think we need to, yeah, I think we need to bring it all in to kind of go, okay, well, 
we've brought you guys along for the ride now. And hopefully you're understanding, you know, that that you can you can choke someone and yourself extremely easily by giving them too much, queuing, etc. Um, so the the three biggest things you can do, uh, and this is this is evidence based, and this is you know, as I said, you can also everyone who's listening to this, I'm sure you'll love to jump onto the optimal motor learning dot com website and and look at you know they've got heaps of the research on there. Oh my goodness! Um, but the main things we we can do as movement facilitators, and I'm just going to kind of list them, is we can collaborate with our with our clients, our students, we can collaborate and we'll we'll flesh out what that means. We can facilitate early success and we can focus on the task, e.g. focus outside of the body, external cue. Let's break those down. Let's what, break them down. What does it mean to uh, collaborate? You know, give us some concrete examples. Okay. So collaboration um, helps helps. Ultimately, the reason why collaboration is awesome is because it gives your clients a sense of autonomy, a sense of I can do it and I've got some control over it. So a collaboration in a Pilates setting, and I'd like to bring this, you know, into Pilates settings so that you guys can can conceptualize. Um, I collaborate on spring choices with my clients all the time if we're talking about reformer, um, whether they might like to go a little more, a little, little less. Yeah, uh, I collaborate on maybe what exercise they would like to, you know, focus on today. So my Sunday reformer sessions, I say to them at the beginning, hey, guys, give me a list of what you'd really passionately like to work on today and we'll pop that on and and, and we'll go with that. So I collaborate there. Um, what else do you think, Raf? Well, you can ask them about how, you know, what sort of feedback they want. You know, do you want, do you want like feedback after every rep or do you want me to just give you feedback at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what their goals are. Yeah. What their goal? How could I you, miss that? You can, their goals are. And the, I think the thing that tickles me the most about this concept is that in the literature, it doesn't even matter what you kind of, you know, work, what, what sort of choices you give people. Like if, you know, there was one study where they could choose between, it was a, they were learning a golf putting task, you know, how to putt a golf ball into a little cup or something. And they got a choice of do I want a red golf ball or a blue golf ball, right? And just having yeah, right. a choice you know, improved learning. So that when they come back a week later, they retained more of that skill than they, you know. Initially. And so like, it can be something as totally simple as like, which reformer do you want to work on today? You know, do you want a blue yeah, flex right. band or okay. a green flex band? You know, do you want a green mat or a blue mat? Do you want a toning ball or a one, a one kilo toning ball or a one kilo hand weight? You know, like, do you want to do the left side first or the right side first? It can just really, it can just be mm. any, anything that mm. gives them a sense of agency you mm. know, in the process. Uh, another big one that that I use, um, and I find this particularly effective with new clients, um, is a sel- sense of self autonomy over reps. Mm. So, so reps, sets, take a break when you need to. So, really um, empowering them to do. And obviously, you know, when they're in a coaching role, and you know, there are times when we want to keep pushing that client through. But I often think about about the the new client who's come into the group class and. They haven't, they haven't been going to classes for a year or they've been off on a European holiday for a year and a half back pre-COVID, do you know what I mean, and haven't done it and all of that. And they're feeling quite concerned and worried and anticipated, uh, you know, anxiety and all of this and thinking, oh, God, I'm not fit enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not anything. And I'm like, hey, you just you just do, do as many as you want today. Feel free to take a, take a rest. I won't be over there hassling you to keep going, you know. And they're like, 
oh, and I found that really effective too. And you know what with that is what's interesting is most people don't just decide to stop. Most people just continue on with the rest of the group, which they, is interesting as well. They could stop. But they could stop. They've been given permission to stop. And I found that very effective too with my higher level learners, actually, when I think about it now. My Sunday crew, they're all self-empowered to modify, um, do whatever they need to do at any point during the class. And they have said that they feel that that sense of empowerment um, over what they do, how much they do, and how they do it has helped them exponentially grow in their skill set as well. So, mm. boom, so there you go. Collaborate equals, <laughs> equals, you know, give people choices. Give people choice, give people choice. It empowers them and gives them autonomy. Give right. them choice. And, you know, there's, right? a bit, there's a fair bit of science about why that works and it's to do with dopamine being released in the brain, enhancing the consolidation of short-term memory, enhancing effort, enhancing persistence. You know, there's a whole bunch of science behind why that uh, improves learning, but let's just say that there's very, very solid, you know, broad and deep literature supporting the fact that if you give people choices, they learn better. Uh huh. Yep. All right. Okay. Number Tick. two was uh, number two facilitate, facilitate early, early success. success. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? What does that mean when it's? What does that sound like in short, plain English words? What you know? Give me some examples of what that might look like. So. Thinking about, for me, it's thinking about uh, appropriate exercise selection. So, you know, my beginner comes in and I'm not getting them up there doing snake and whatnot and, you know, I'm, I'm setting them up for success. Like I'm setting the bar low, so to speak. I'm like if in footwork they can literally just push the courage out and in. If it clangs and bangs a little, so what? If they can push it out and in, out and in, out and in. But, oh, what if, but what if they're not in neutral? What if, awesome. what if they're locking their knees? What if their toes are facing the wrong way? What if their palms are face down when they should get be out, facing? Get out, Raph. Get out. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> what if their heads turn 10 degrees Ba-bow. to the left? <laughs> turn your head any way you want to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and I'm going to be giving them a shit ton of praise, particularly when I see them doing something awesome. And to be honest, Raph, they are pushing the carriage out and in. To me, that is awesome. Being on a reformer for the first time, I think we forget, is because most most instructors and teachers, I, I like to say teachers, most teachers, we're, we're so far away from that first lesson we first had in the first time we were on this weird machine that moved in and out that it we moves, forget that yeah. we clanged and banged things and it was really weird. And, you know, I, I bring it back again to like the first time I got my dad on a reform at, at Northcote campus. I think I told you about this, Ralph. <laughs> he walked in, he was like, oh, rowing machines. I'm like, Mm, no, but okay. And then got on and then I put him in for footwork and away he went, happy as I banging and clanging and enjoying it. By the time I got him into feet and straps, he started doing them. I'm giving him some cues. You know what he said to me? What? Hey, shh, 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 just let me do it. I was like, awesome. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, he's doing awesome. He doesn't like let him feel it out, let him Your explore dad's like, it. Like Yoda. Yeah, we know that. Shout out to my dad. I've done a lot of shout outs to my dad. Oh, my dad's awesome. Um, but, you know, it was like, yeah, just let him do it, right? And then praise him because he's doing awesome. He's on this thing that he thought was a rowing machine. Next minute, no joke, he taught himself short spine. <laughs> so, you know, um, setting the bar low, 
thinking about reducing complexity. So, you know, it's the beginner's class. You're not going in with your, your full let's do round back rowing with all the bells and whistles. How about we do bits of it? How about we, we get, get our clients comfortable with, you know, rolling back into that C shape? You know, that that's enough for class. Oh, my God, look at you guys. You're doing so amazing. That's so awesome. Look at you all nailing that. I oh, think, yeah, really? I, I think that reducing complexity is really, you know, really important. And we can do it not just by reducing the number of, you know, literal moving parts in an exercise like you just talked to in background, but we can actually do it also by just reducing the number of criteria for success like you kind of alluded yes. to before. So it's like, like you said, if footwork, if the carriage is moving in and out and you're lying face up, you're winning, you know, like that's, awesome. that's it. You win. High five. And, and yeah. then, and of course we don't leave the bar low forever, you know, next no, time they no, come no, in, no, no. we add another little refinement. We said, you know you what, you picked it up so quickly last time, you know, let's add on another layer for you now, you know. Um, exactly. Or let's, how about this time, let's think about keeping the carriage quiet mm. during footwork. Okay, that's a great external, and that tends to that tends to really help facilitate motor learning because all of a sudden people work out how to stop the carriage clanging into the stopper. Mm. So, all right. So, uh, first and, one is is yeah. uh, collaborate, which basically means give choice. The yes. second one is uh, facilitate early success, and which basically you know you can do by sort of having low standards. You know, so you know everybody's a winner sort of like in the, the grade one you know, yeah. school <laughs> athletics competition. <laughs> you every, every, all get a trophy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, but, but I think, you know, in all seriousness with that, I think it, it's actually better, like it, and, and as you kind of implied when you were you know, talking about it, that you actually catch them doing something right yes. and point that out to them. So rather than just saying yes. you're awesome, say, hey, see the way, you know, your legs are straightening there or I can hear the carriage is so quiet or – you know, whatever, right? Just find something that they're doing right and point it out to yeah. them. Um, yeah. and, and I found it really, uh, really good too. And uh, and I'm sure everyone out there is doing this. But, you know, your newbie, when when they go to leave class, like have a chat to them and just be like, far out, well done. Like, because also guys, like I am all about catching them out, out on something amazing they're doing. And let's let's be fair, most people will do something amazing throughout that class, right? There'll be something that you can catch out, right? Yeah. But even just someone stepping foot into yeah. the space or someone online setting foot into my virtual space, hey, you showed up. For me, that's freaking awesome as well. Yeah. So and, and any I, class you come to of mine, it's gonna, you're going to get a shit ton of praise because think, I'm just stoked you're there yeah, and you're I doing think it. That's a really good point because there's actual success where, you know, like you're doing the movement physically correctly. Okay. Yeah. And then, the, but that, actually that's not what's important. What's important is the client's perception of early success. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, when you go, you know, just imagine you go and try something new, ballroom dancing or taekwondo or tennis or lawn bowls or whatever, and just say you do it and you kind of suck at it, right? So you you just you got two left feet. You can't kick to save your life. You keep missing the ball. You know. Yeah, for, you know, I'm like whatever. that with pool, and I bloody hate it. <laughs> right. All right. So you go and play pool or billiards or whatever, and you know you yeah. suck. Right. You lose 15 games straight. You know. I suck hard. Right? And, yeah. and it's like, how motivated are you going to be to go? Oh, I love None playing pool. You know, like let let's be, let's spend more time playing pool. No, you're going to nope. hate pool. You're not going to go back and do it. So you're not going to practice hard. You're not going to persist, and you're going to become less skillful. Whereas if you go and play pool, right, and you've never played it before, but you you 
actually discover that you're actually a natural. You're quite good at it. You like win seven of your first 10 games, right? And you're just like, holy shit, I'm really good at this, right? Well, all of a sudden you think this is a really fun activity, right? And if I practice just a little bit, I'd be kick ass at this, right? Mm. And so then you're much more highly motivated to practice and you and you have higher self-efficacy, um, which mm. basically means that you try harder and persist longer and get more squirts of dopamine in your brain and all of those other things we talked mm. about earlier on. So it's really it's mm. people's perception of success that's important. Mm. You know? And so we, mm. can, we can facilitate that by actually giving them success, you know, setting the bar low, making the movement simple and then just pointing out to them when they win. And we can also just like basically, you know, in with all the, you know, kindness in the world, basically smoke, blow smoke up their ass. We can say, you know, Chloe, are you sure this is the first time you've played pool? You're like, I rarely see somebody like pick it up as quickly, you know, this quickly on their first go. Are you sure you've not, you haven't played before? See, I'm smiling. You just saying that I'm smiling. I'm getting my dopamine hit. I'm feeling good. And honestly, guys, you know, anytime you've tried something, remember what it's like to be praised by your teacher, your coach, your, you know, whatever. It it feels awesome. It feels so awesome and it motivates you to do it again. It feels awesome. Like, Raph, you know, whenever I nail a new skill that I didn't think I could, you know, on the reformer, like the like control the belt system or the, or the head back, the first thing I do is I think to send it to you. It's yeah. like, hey, dad, dad, look at this. <laughs> like the first thing I want to do, honestly, you're the first person that comes into my head to send it to and you know I send it to you. I'm like, look, look what I can do. Look what I can do. And I know you're always going to be stoked for me. Yeah. And I really look forward to that and I love showing it to you. And it's like, you know, and and it makes me want to do that skill again and again and again and, you know, get get more autonomous at it. Well, well I think what, you know, one of the things that I think is so awesome about you is you try new shit and you push yourself and you, you know, like you're not afraid to, to make a mistake in, in the service of getting better at doing something that's like fun or exciting or interesting or challenging. And, uh, you know, that means – you end up succeeding at a hell of a lot of things. So, you know, high five to you. Thanks, Raph. <laughs> oh, thanks, Raph. Um, I'll keep sending them to you. And then, okay, so we're up to probably, no, they're all, all of these three elements are my favourite. Yeah. But all, we all love all our like, children equally, don't we? We love all our children equally, but I feel like here's the one that all the people want to talk about and hear yeah. about because I got a feeling, one. I got a feeling those other two things. Well, everyone's out there going, yep, tick, do that. Yep, yeah. tick. Oh, come on, you guys. All right. already doing this. Well, this, this is a no-brainer. One, this one's going to change dun, 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 dun. That's a drum roll. That was a really bad drum roll, wasn't it? <laughs> do you want to play a sound off your, off your I desk? I can't remember which Just one to a, press hit one at random. T- <laughs> Don't forget okay. to turn up the volume, though, first. It's up. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. That was the wrong we one, though. Snort- yeah. It was the wrong one, but you know what? We got a snort out of me, guys. A snort caught on a podcast for life is always – it means I'm very happy. So, okay, that was not the right one. Can I try one more? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was better. All right. So <laughs> what's, our, what's our third for. one, which was focus on the task, a.k.a. Uh, you know, focus AKA. on the outside your body, focus on the result of the movement? External cueing for the expert. Potential win, like ah, external cueing. What does it mean? Well, let's talk about it. Yeah, and it's it's so easy to do. So, uh, but for well, those who've been, so, I would say it's so simple. But simple, if, sorry, if simple. You've been, if you've been doing it the other way for the last fifteen years, yeah, it's, probably not it's easy. It's tough, and I was going to yeah. say that because remember, you and me, 
when we, because guys, we both Raf and I are from an internal queuing original training, super duper internal queuing. Transverse yeah. abdominis to stabilize and compress album in ab- abdomen in our uh, mm-hmm. pelvic region. Inhale to prepare. Exhale generally mm-hmm. contract your pelvic floor no more than twenty five percent of maximum voluntary voluntary contraction. Flatten your lower tummy without engaging your obliques or rectus abdominis. Wow, so you haven't forgotten it there. It's really ingrained. Yeah, do a very slight (laughs) craniosurvival flexion to engage the deep neck flexors. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Okay. Okay, so, yeah. So, look, and Raph had been doing it for longer than me before I had to, you know, relearn how I cued. And and it took a bit to – so to, be, to change and it felt, and it choked me for a little while. It can be simple, but not, but not <laughs> yeah. easy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what but, I mean. I think it, that's what I mean. Yeah. If you're learning it for the first time, it is easy. Um, yeah. And so it just like okay. s- really simply says exactly what it is, right? So external mm-hmm. focus cues are just basically cues where you're focusing the client's attention on a point that is outside their body and preferably related to the result of the movement they're doing. So if they're you know, doing footwork, well, focus on the sound of the carriage, you know, focus on the smooth movement of the carriage. If you're doing feeding straps. Open the springs, close the springs. So guys, I just want to give you that cue. If you're not already using it, one of the, one of the greatest things about the, basically if you're teaching on a reformer. Oh, easy. Easy. The whole thing, guys, the whole thing is an external cue. Okay. So one of the most effective things I use um, on the reformer is opening and closing the springs, no joke, or pushing the foot bar away, pulling mm. the foot bar back in. If you've got feet or hands in straps, push into the straps. Yeah, and can yeah? I just add a distinction there that, uh-huh. you know, and this has been shown experimentally like repeatedly. So if you're saying something like, you know, push into the foot bar or push the foot bar away, right, that's mm-hmm. an external cue because it makes you think about the foot bar, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you say push your heels into the foot bar, that's an mm-hmm. internal cue because it makes you mm-hmm. think about your heels. So mm-hmm. even though push into the foot bar and push your heels into the foot bar are almost mm-hmm. identical, like from a grammatical point of view, mm-hmm. in terms of cueing, they're very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been shown, you know, repeatedly um, in, a, mm-hmm. in a wide variety of people with different ages, skill levels, different tasks, et cetera. It's like very, very At robust. Stroke, line. stroke. Yeah. I love uh, the study they've done. So this is what really uh, I found really fascinating. So the, the the literature shows that this is the most effective way to learn motor skills from everyone from stroke patients mm. rehabbing. I don't know if you remember, Raf, there was the, the great study that was done um, and it was stroke patients and there was a waste paper bin and they, the task was they had um, screwed up bits of paper and the task was they needed to try and get the paper into the bin. I've so, um, Talk me through it. Yeah, I, it, just really, it, it just really fascinated me. And, and you'd be, guys, you'd be able to find that on the Luthwaite and Wolf. Um, I'm a bit obsessed with well, the optimalmotorlearning.com. We, we can link to it in the, in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I, I would also love people, though, to go and explore that. But anyway... Instead of focusing on, you know, the hand around the paper, right, and then what you needed to do with your arm in order to propel that forward, the focus they were given, you know, they obviously did both, but the focus that that was most effective was get the paper in the waste bin, like just think about the waste bin, just focus on the waste bin. And then they also have done all of these studies 
on elite, elite athletes that, you know, the difference between an internal cue and an external cue being given to that elite athlete can be the difference between them winning and not winning. Yeah. Which is, which is huge, right? So, um, so the external cue yeah. should relate to the outcome of the movement, you know, some kind of yes. outcome of the task. So if it's a, you know, if it's on the reformer, well, it's just like it's the movement of the straps, it's the movement of the carriage, it's the movement of the springs, it's the mm-hmm. movement of the mm-hmm. footbar, it's the, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's <laughs> real, real simple. Um, yeah. Um, even if you're on a mat, it's pretty simple. You can say press the yes. mat into the floor, you know, reach to the ceiling, yep. you know. Squish your T-shirt, T-shirt mm. and clothes. So, guys, on the mat, um, clothes is Clothes, uh, clothes are really effective cues. Um, so let's say we're doing a roll-up. So crink, ro- rolling up, crinkling the front of your T-shirt. And then on the way back down, rolling down, getting each bit of your T-shirt down onto the mat bit by bit, yeah? Or maybe it's the 100 and, you know, you're curling up into your 100s position, you're crinkling crinkling the front of the T-shirt and you're squishing the back of your T-shirt firmly down into the mat, right? And the waistband of your pants. The waistband of your pants. Waistband of your pants is a great one. Socks, mm. they're wearing socks. Um, and even if they're not wearing socks, do you know what? I'll often cue socks just because and you can, I know yeah, the you, cueing socks is more effective than, yeah. And you can you can oh. use uh, like imagery cues as well as long as they're – now, this is a question we get a lot. Is like is imagery, imagery an internal cue or an external cue? Well, it depends where mm. if you're imagining a point inside your body or imagining a point outside your body, right? If So if you say imagine laser beams shooting out your eyes to the wall, right, put those laser beams where the wall meets the ceiling. Well, that's an external cue. Right. Whereas if you say, imagine a balloon, you know, expanding inside your chest and pressing you outwards in all directions, well, that's an internal cue because it makes you imagine a point. Well, the elevator that's the, the pelvic floor elevator oh, yes. that's going up to Definitely. level seven. Yeah. How many levels are there? I don't um, know. The, the, <laughs> level the, seven, women's know. lingerie the, and uh, home furnishings. The, I just want to, before we, before we, um, go a little bit further, I, I just want to be, because this can be something that can cause um, confusion when people are learning to externally cue for the first time and being uber, uber conscious of never mentioning a body part. Oh, I'm not is allowed that, to mention body is parts. That so is that for the that, setup? So so the start position to get some like okay, I, I think it's good to walk people through this yeah. because there there is confusion that around is this. Big, so let's say is, yeah, that is a big question that we that you know yeah. that people have when they first learn this is like oh so what I'm never allowed to mention body parts? No no no, yes. you're allowed to mention body parts. So that's not parts. true. You're to I'm going to I'm going to cue Raph. I'm going to cue Raph now through footwork. So I'm going to say hold on, just okay, Raph. On, just let me hop on the reformer. How many springs? No, no, no you're not on yet. Excuse okay. me. Wait, for, wait to be told what to do. Jeeves, creepers. Talk about autonomy. <laughs> three full springs on Raph. Right, here I go. Lay, <laughs> three springs. Lay down on your back, yep. facing up. Yeah. Put your toes on the footbar for me. Created a V shape. Heels together. Okay, so that's our start position, and I've said I've said some body parts. That's okay. Now the movement focus needs to be external. So I just want to make it really clear that the setup position, say body parts, it gets really weird and hard not to. If you want to talk somebody <laughs> then, into like you know the, the start position for side splits without ever mentioning your foot, 
right? On the on the yeah. platform and then one on the carriage and rah, rah, rah. yeah. It's hard. So, so so guys, we wanna we wanna set we wanna set you up for success if you're learning this for the first time and we know it can be tricky. So please feel empowered to get someone into a start position saying body parts, simple body parts, you know. And then the movement focus would be, okay, Raf, open your springs. Close your springs. Look at you go. Have you done this before? No, this is my first go. I, <laughs> oh my I, gosh, you're a natural. I've always been sporty though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see you. You're doing fantastic. Actually, in fact, it looks like you need an extra spring. How does that sound? That's awesome. I feel good about collaborate. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So it's that simple. Like it, it is that. It is that simple. Now, and so what's, out there, what, what, what's yeah? a good external cue to activate someone's glutes? <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play this game. So let's say I've got someone in scooter position. We all know a scooter side of the carriage. Yeah. yeah. We're like, we're standing ready to do a lunge or whatever we're on one full spring or whatnot, whatever floats your boat. Okay. Well, I'm going to get that person, their start position. I'm going to get them to hinge, like, you know, push their pants back behind them. Uh-huh. Hold that position, push the carriage out and in. Yeah, but what cue will activate my glutes? Pushing the carriage out and in. Yeah, but. Because <laughs> I've put you in the position, guess what? You're going to have to use your hip extensors, aka your butt and your hamstr- uh, hamstrings. It's like, mm. what, so, what do you think you're going to be using? So if you, yeah, so just like <laughs> super, super quick little anatomy and biomechanics interlude. Um I wish I had like some. If you could play some like special dream sequence music, like you know the oh, little. Oh, I do. But which one is it? Is it this one? Wait. <laughs> no. Sorry, I want a little zither. And it won't stop. I don't know. We're going to have to work right. on that. I'll label them for next time, guys. Sorry to experiment on you. Um, so if you if you want to like increase the <laughs> workload on a muscle in a given exercise, you know, in other words, activate it. Um, or, mm-hmm. Well, just you, you know, you need to know the precise action of that muscle. So, for instance, the superior fibers of gluteus maximus do hip extension, lateral rotation, and abduction. So, if mm-hmm. you put the body in a position where the leg is going into hip extension, external rotation, abduction. So, in other words, if you did a scooter, uh, you know, in deep hip flexion, with the leg, even better would be if you put the leg across the carriage onto the opposite shoulder pad on the we opposite side. We call that a curtsy scooter curtsy in scooter. biz. Um, and that puts the hip into a position of external rotation and abduction, which, you know, much more precisely targets the gluteus maximus and makes it work harder. And if you're in that position, you can't not activate your gluteus maximus. So you don't need a cue that says activate your gluteus maximus to, in fact, activate your gluteus maximus. So, um, yeah, I mean, just think about think about it this way. Like if you were doing push-ups, right, and I made you do 100 push-ups, what cue should I use to get you to activate your triceps? No fucking cue because they're going to work, right? Like, so. What, what about, what about, Raph, if I, if I ask you to do the hundreds or I ask you to do series of five or I ask you to what do an I, abdominal crunch, I, do I have to tell you to activate something or? Yeah, what, I, you know, to get you to I get those abs five, activated. Yeah, I can do the hundreds for five minutes without even activating my abs at all. No, oh. I can't. That's what? against the law. Like, it's against geez, the laws Raph, of physics. You said that yeah. with a lot of like <laughs> conviction, and I'm here for a minute going. 
Where's he going with this? Well, if, if, you, if, you, if, oh. you're wondering, if you're wondering about this and, you know, you're, at, you're somewhere in private, lie down on the floor right now, put your hand on your tummy. Now lift your legs up and your head up and try and keep your tummy relaxed while you do that. Yeah. Not possible. Right? Yeah. So you, basically if you put a body part, if you put the body in a position where a muscle is required to activate in order to do a movement that you're asking the person to do, well, the muscle is going to activate. So you don't have to mm. give a, you know, it's much better to just, because when you, when you put someone in a position like hip extension, abduction, external rotation, that actually loads the glute more, right? And load is actually what causes the muscle to get stronger, not activation. So if you're just in some position where the, the glute doesn't have to work hard, but you're just telling someone like squeeze your glute and so they're consciously activating it, number one, you're retarding their motor learning. Number two, you're actually not strengthening the glute because you're not loading it, you're just flexing it. Right? Mm. And flexing it is not what makes it stronger. Loading it is what makes it stronger. That's a whole other podcast, I reckon. That That yeah. is we, – I, I think we've got that – we've actually got that on our list. So um, – <laughs> The body's really smart, okay? The motor system is very intelligent, mm. yeah? And and I, I spoke about this to you before, Raph, that, you know, uh, one of the things I, I loved everything about the, the Luth, Wade and Wolf uh, interview, which you can find on our – we should probably link that into the – I think we should put that in the show mm. notes, right? Because it's brilliant and, and, and I hope this has sparked your interest to, to listen to it. But um, I'm, I'm not sure, sorry, whether it was Luth, Wade or Wolf at that point speaking, but said that internal cues are, are pervasive, yeah. okay? They are pervasive in society. So they're pervasive in, in what comes out of the mouth of, of movement teachers, but it's interesting because that lingo has then pervaded into society. So it is also pervaded into our clients' understanding of how they should be taught told to move. Like I have had grads come to me and say, you know, this client complained because I didn't tell her to activate X, Y, Z before she did X, Y, Z. And and then therefore that's dangerous. So internal, which it's not by the way, but internal cues Face fucking are pervasive, yeah. but they're not natural. They're not natural to the intelligent biological, you know, biological entity that, that human beings are. Well, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because like the whole, you know, Joseph goes on and on in his book about moving like cats and babies and, or, you know, all kinds of stuff, watching wild Return animals. to life yeah. and being and, like, And so like yeah. well, who tells fucking cats to activate their fucking glutes when they're walking? You know, they, they that's ridiculous, you know. Like yeah. cats and babies are the exact people who don't have conscious rules about, how, you know, how to move, mm. right? So how do we think that giving people specific explicit conscious rules about how to move mm. is going to help them move more at automatically and effortlessly, right? That's just mm. like, it's a complete ass backwards, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and this, and this, I, I, this conversation, it's interesting when it does come up around queuing, there's a lot of emotion held around it. Um, I think it's all held in the It's, <laughs> I'm trying to be understanding here, but there's a ruined that moment for me. But there's, oh, it's definitely in the psoas. That's an emotional hip flexor. Now, um, <laughs> and twisting movements will ring it out. I don't know. Like the, the the thing is, like I've had some serious backfire thrown at me before um, by saying that we should be promoting you know, motor learning via external cueing. 
um, quite passion, more passionately than most topics I bring and, up. And what what uh, you know what what do people say? Like what what reasons do people give? Uh, safety that see certain the, clients uh, respond. Safety culture that, episode. Please see out. Please listen to our safety culture episode. That's that's a really important Sorry, episode we, to we listen need, to. We need your wah, 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 wah. Yeah, we do. I swear, I'm going to number those things later. Um, and and da, 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 the second one is that they feel like clients respond better. So my argument there will be, well, actually, no evidence tells us that no, we don't, don't, and that's a lot. Sorry, guys, that's yeah. a logical fallacy, and that there is actually another. There's an episode earlier, bias. episode on on logical fallacies. So Selection just be, bias. We've trained them. Like think it's of in, all the incorrect. Reasons. Yeah, you're right. yeah, it's incorrect. Um, and then also that probably brings in a bit of the lexicon, you know, of what Luce Wade and Wolf were talking about. That you know, it, it, internal cues are pervasive. You know, yeah. so there is maybe some expectation from the client. So Why um, is there I, I want to give it because we've we've, we've trained set it them. Up. We've trained yeah. them. Yeah. And I want to I want to give maybe a, what might be quite a useful tip for um teachers out there that are transitioning from from internal queuing to external and um new teachers as well is that when I I always I always address the elephant in my pilates room. Okay? So I know the client, I assume, I do assume that clients come in with some expectations that Pilates is, they're going to be told to micromanage XYZ muscle, they're going to be told exactly when to breathe, exactly when to this, that and the other. And I actually talk to them whilst I'm getting the class moving at the beginning about what to expect from my class and how I'm going to enhance their learning experience. So I actually say, what you're not going to hear from me is this, and this is why. I, I address it particularly, and I had a very lovely, loyal following of, you know, when I was in the face-to-face setting, I had my clients, so they just, they would think it was weird if I started queuing muscles and whatnot, mm-hmm. right? But every now and then into that bubble of mine would come a brand newbie who'd been doing Pilates somewhere else with someone else. So I would address the elephant in the room because there's nothing worse than that person sitting there the whole time, getting angrier and angrier and more frustrated thinking, Oh, look, Chloe doesn't know what she's talking about. She hasn't told me to activate my pelvic floor and, you know, align this or that and yada, 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 right? So I, I get it out mm. there. And I found that to be extremely effective. And can I, can I just like, I think, that's, I think that's brilliant. And can I just like say with, with oh, I guess, you know, all the, 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 the love and empathy and conviction that I can possibly muster that, you know, if you, if you're not cueing muscles, it is perfectly, utterly, completely, totally, and in all other ways, safe. Like there is no danger. Um, It's just not a thing. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. The idea that you need to tell people to contract their muscles before they move is total, utter, complete fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's true. It's just not true. Oh, it's just, it's just it's not, not true. true. It's just it's untrue. It's not true, guys. It's not true. It's like, it's yeah. just not true. It's wrong. <laughs> it's like, we know better. You know, it's like mm. fucking mm. some, like, I don't know, uh, mm. bleeding, leeching, you know, Treating people with 
homeopathy. Yeah, it's like it just not it's not true. It's just untrue, right? So there are, doesn't stop a lot of people. Donald from, Trump. Right. It doesn't stop a lot of people from <laughs> believing it passionately. And a lot of people, in, particularly in the Pilates industry, have very, you know, strongly held mm-hmm. views, you know, about this and will, you know, if they, you know, see you as, you know, not queuing uh, mm-hmm. internally, will look down their nose at you, will possibly tell you off, will question you, will raise their eyebrow, mm-hmm. etc. But I'm just here to tell you they're fucking wrong and mm-hmm. they're on the wrong side of history. And in, mm-hmm. in 10 years, you know, I mean, this this research is is not brand new. You know, this is it's not. That's the thing. This is not new. It's just slow to catch on. You know, as as those people die of old age, one by one, you know, the industry will change, and you know, it's 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 inexorable. You know, there were many wrong ideas in medicine two hundred years ago. Most of them are now dead. You know, and Mm -hmm. and all of you know all many of the wrong ideas that we are now popular, like internal queuing. You know, one day we'll be dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're just, you know, we, we're living in an exciting time where we get to be part of the process of, of that transition, mm. you know. Mm. And and if you're an educator out there listening to this, please, 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 if you need to, update your syllabus because, again, it is being perpetuated through, unfortunately, movement syllabuses. And, and, and this is <laughs> like, it's weird because like this is totally stock standard stuff in mm. any bachelor degree or master's degree in movement, mm-hmm. right? So if you go to do exercise science or whatever at uni, like mm-hmm. this is not in any way controversial. Like everybody knows, this is like a first year subject in all mm-hmm. exercise science uni courses. Like everybody knows it. It's not remarkable. No one raises an eyebrow to it. It's right. It's like, it's like teaching that fucking gravity exists or something, you know, it's just mm-hmm. not exciting. But in mm-hmm. Pilates, people lose their shit mm-hmm. over it. It's like they really lose their shit, and and look at you know I, they they really do. And if you're feeling a bit like you're losing your shit at us at the moment, um, <laughs> sit with it, sit with that uncomfortable feeling, and then do some more research. Go onto optimalmotorlearning.com and look through look through the scientific research there. Like mm. like look at it. Educate yourself before backfiring, you know, from an emotion. Yeah. And and I think, you know, to all the people, like, I mean, you know, Chloe and I kind of, sometimes we get cranky and sometimes we get passionate and, you know, sometimes we say fuck and stuff. But (laughs) like, honestly, if you're listening to this with an open mind, like- We love you. We love you. You're awesome. You know, you're in the 1%. You are are who this is for. Like you are- you are you are the shining light for this industry. So yeah. you know, if you've been, you know, quote, doing it wrong all these years, like we don't give a fuck. Like that, you oh, know, we're we don't not judge you. judging yeah. we're not judging you. We're hoping to help lead you on a on a on a, a path yeah, of we did, yeah, we did it wrong next, plenty. Yeah. For sh- oh my gosh, I've said all the things. All the things, all, all, all the things. And it was uncomfortable for me to unlearn it. I had to unlearn habit. Mm. And and it took a while. And it sometimes I just needed to shut my mouth instead of saying something. Yeah. That really helped me. To be honest, guys, that helped me a lot when I first started, you know, external, shifting from internal to external cueing and choking myself. Just zip it. Mm. Do something else, pump the music up or, you know, anything else. Let people just do their thing. 
and <laughs> shush or talk about something fun you're doing on the weekend. And something I would also else. say like, you know, like give yourself early you know, early success, you know, and early, an expectation of success and, and don't, you know, so set the bar low, right? Say don't go from cold turkey of like I give, you know, a, a hundred in, internal cues a minute to I'll give no internal cues and only external cues. Go to yeah. like, okay, I will give five external cues during this class, right? And, and mm-hmm. 95 internal cues, right? And, and if you do that, give yourself a high five and, you know, celebrate because that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the next day set the bar at six external cues and just, you know, mm. just gradually work your way into it and it will be months, possibly years before it becomes second nature to you because that's just the nature of human skill acquisition is it takes a lot of repetition and teaching, you know, cueing is a skill and mm. you've practiced learning it one way and if you were to, you know, practice it in a slightly different way, that's, you know, it's, that's, a, that's a fairly slow process to, to change. So, but, you know, just perseverance and going easy on yourself and giving yourself early wins uh, and knowing that you will succeed if only Absolutely. you persevere. Yeah. Absolutely. And that you're awesome and that you're going to help elevate and elevate the industry. Yeah, the fact that you're listening to this basically You're already doing that. You're already, <laughs> yeah. you're already, you're already in the top 1%. You're, you're the elite, man. Like you're awesome. Yeah. You're the, well, they're the, they're the stratosphere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. Uh, well, yeah. Good talk. Great talk. Thanks, Ralph. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.